1: Here on This Might Get Uncomfortable, Whitney and I have covered a hell of a lot of diverse topics in 125 episodes. If it's your first time, dear listener, welcome. If it's your 125th episode or whatever number it is, welcome back. We've really covered some interesting things. We had an episode recently with Natalie Rivera about sex and sex work and differently abled people and their sex lives. We've talked a lot about mental health, depression, had an episode on suicide. We've definitely covered topics and areas, conspiracy theories, spirituality, things that maybe traditionally at the quote dinner table, people might shy away from discussing. We here on the podcast do not shy away from the uncomfortable, the nose wrinkling, the challenging subjects that certainly for us as individuals and as a team here on the podcast might bring up some shit to be dealt with. So When Whitney was like, hey, what do you want to talk about today? The immediate thing that came up for me was wanting to dive into one of the most uncomfortable subjects, I think, for many, many people around the world, which is the subject of money. The reason that I want to bring this up today, Whitney, and for you, dear listener, recently there was an article, many articles, but the article I saw was about, at the time of this recording, maybe about three or four days ago, that Jeff Bezos, the CEO and founder of Amazon, is the first human being verified to cross the $200 billion mark in his personal net worth. And along with Jeff Bezos, we've seen the top five or six billionaires increase their net worth by tens of billions of dollars, or in some cases, hundreds of billions during the last six months of COVID. And interestingly enough, there's been a lot of posts and articles, and I suppose backlash, if you will, of people talking about how many people are unemployed and homeless and trying to get government and state assistance and that there are these group of six individuals who have increased their net worth by hundreds of billions of dollars. Now, to clarify, when we talk about net worth, it doesn't necessarily mean the liquidity, the numbers in their bank account in, for many of these cases, the richest people in the world, it's divested usually through stock options. Through securities, through real estate, things that are not directly liquid. They're assets that are not actual cash money. But nonetheless, it's fascinating to think that during this time of one of the most challenging chapters of modern human history, we have the first human who's crossed the $200 billion mark. And I don't think it's any accident. I think that there's such a dramatic contrast, Whitney, right now happening on the planet. We hear about the haves and the have nots and how the people that are invested with real estate and appreciable assets and stock options and securities and gold and stocks and bonds and the whole thing, that their wealth just keeps going and going and going. And you have people who are struggling for finding their next meal. And it's an interesting question because I think there's two things I want to dive into today. I want to dive into not only how we feel that perhaps this is pointing to where our society is heading, our collective global society, But also digging into something that I know for me and you has been uncomfortable to talk about over the years, which is our personal relationships to money. You know, as entrepreneurs and people who've been in business here with Wellevator and the podcast, but also our individual brands with, we've been in business for ourselves for well over 10 years now. And there's been a hell of a lot of highs and lows financially. And for me, you've seen me struggle greatly with the highs and the lows of making a lot of money certain months and making absolute zero. And some months seeing a comfortable amount in my bank account and many, many months on this entrepreneurial journey of having negative money, having less than zero. So I guess I just want to kick it off by, first of all, going to the macro and then going to the micro, starting with this global conversation about capitalism and the rich getting richer and people struggling with money, and then going to maybe some of our individual feelings about this. And how did you feel when you heard about this, about not just Jeff Bezos, but the concentration of wealth flowing to people like Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, who we've talked a lot about on this podcast, about them making hundreds of billions more dollar during this pandemic. How does that hit you when you hear that?
0: Well, it's interesting because I haven't been keeping up with it as you have. And I pay attention to the stock market a bit, mainly because I have shares of Apple, Tesla, and Beyond Meat. And all three companies are doing pretty well. Definitely Tesla. <laughs> Tesla and Apple, I think, are maybe in the top three stocks right now. Plus Zoom, I think might be the third that I read the other day. It's interesting. I've had Apple shares for a long time because I used to work for the company. And it's always done pretty well. And I remember when the pandemic started that stocks like really went down and people were selling them off. And I was sitting there thinking, like, should I sell? And I didn't actually feel like I should. Especially because I don't plan to sell my Apple shares. I mean, it would take a lot for me to do that in terms of entirely get rid of them. You know, like I think a lot of people were just like selling everything that they had. And with Tesla, like I just didn't have very much stock, so I, I just thought, eh, I'll just keep it and see what happens. And then, like, what's happened with Tesla stock is kind of mind blowing. I've actually been meaning to ask you about that, Jason. Like, how you feel about that in terms of Amazon. We have talked about on the podcast how we've been trying to move away from recommending products on Amazon and buying them ourselves. And so for the listener, we often will use affiliate links when we talk about products. So if you go to our website, you'll see a little disclaimer at the top of every show notes letting you know that if you purchase something based on a recommendation, that we may make some money from that. And and it could be like a few cents honestly, like especially when it comes to Amazon. And this is another incentive and another part of this conversation, Jason, is that it's crazy how little money you make by recommending a product on Amazon. And they actually cut down the percentage of it. So for content creators like us, it actually was really challenging because you used to be able to make a decent amount of money by recommending products on Amazon. And then they slashed the commissions. And It's really frustrating because Amazon is such a hub. So many people buy from them. And no wonder Jeff Bezos is making so much money because his company is hugely successful. It's convenient. I just ordered some products from Amazon because I needed them really quickly. And I think that's a huge element of this. It's like the convenience factor, the money-saving factor. Like You can go on there and read reviews. There's a lot of elements of the Amazon experience that I really enjoy. And so from time to time, I will order from them, but I really do my best to avoid it. Some people I know order like everything on Amazon. And they will constantly be getting packages, which I don't think is good for the environment. And it's just like, oh, this is convenient. This is inexpensive. I can quickly find what I need. I get the appeal. But there's a lot of downsides. Like, so for example, Amazon's not rewarding people like me and Jason and other content creators out there that help with the marketing. Like, they don't seem to value us very much, I assume. I actually haven't read into why they decided to cut the cost, but I'm assuming that it's a money thing, right? I've heard lots of crazy stories about Amazon workers. I've even seen videos on TikTok. Some workers have snuck in their phones, which they're not really supposed to have. But during the pandemic, they were allowed to bring their phones into work in order to stay in touch with their family members or in case of emergency. And so they started documenting it. And it was just so odd because it's a lot of like 20-year-olds working these jobs Packing products as quickly as they possibly can, and a lot of people writing in the comments about their experience. And it just doesn't sound like a good experience. So I wonder a lot about how the workers are being affected. So these are the sort of things I think about, Jason. When you talk about how much money he makes, like there's part of me, of course, with Elon Musk, I feel this way, but with Jeff Bezos, I think, wow, like he started this company and look what he's made. And he just like, created this whole empire like there's something about that that's very i feel appealed by you know like it's impressive and it's like seeing how much wealth he's he's uh, acquired and how he's has created this whole world that the people depend on and use and their elements of Amazon that just work so well and it's we're so fortunate to have that from a convenience fast standpoint right but there are environmental and worker issues. And if those things are not being paid attention to, and somebody's profiting off of not treating workers well, not paying them enough, and not considering the environment as much as they should, like that, I take issue with. And I think the fact that Amazon makes it so convenient gets in the way of people realizing how much money they're spending on products. So people might actually be suffering financially as a result of some of these systems because you don't really have enough time to think about it. It's just so convenient. And then you sign up for Amazon Prime and you can get something delivered the next day or even the same day. Like All of these conveniences of it, it makes it easy to justify these purchases and justify these expenses on a monthly basis. And then lose sight of how they might be impacting you financially. And I think that's an issue. But also, more importantly, I think people buy, like the consumerism side of this is concerning because a lot of it is very cheaply made. For example, when I did my shopping on there, I'm someone that will spend like hours researching something, reading reviews, comparing things if I need to. And I ended up buying two things. That I think were made in China. And like it's even hard for me to say that out loud. Like I, it's not that I have a overarching issue with things that are made in China, but like they're cheaply made. I got them because it was like truly a convenience thing. And I was feeling tense with time and tense with money, to your point, Jason. And sometimes we make those decisions out of a feeling of urgency or desperation or, mental resources are an issue too. And sometimes we just don't want to go spend the time to look at the alternatives. So I'm certainly part of the problem too. And I'm working on that and encourage other people to consider these things and know that it's really hard to step away from these systems too. I see Elon Musk differently than Jeff Bezos. And maybe they might not be that different after all. To me, I look at Elon Musk similar to how I did with Steve Jobs. I just think he. Is so innovative and so fascinating. And I just kind of think it's cool that he's made as much money as he has. And, you know, I have a Tesla and it's one of the greatest things I've ever owned. And I'm benefiting from owning the stock. You know, (laughs) like there's been a lot of direct benefits that I've had. So that kind of skews things too. It's hard to step back and look at these people objectively when they're benefiting your life in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, I think the thing that I am realizing that as we zoom out and take a more macro view is that there are pluses and minuses, pros, cons, advantages, disadvantages. And like many things we talk about here on the podcast, it's a very nuanced conversation. And the big question that comes up for me is kind of digging into, and this will kind of loop the macro conversation to the micro as we go forward with our our personal relationship to money. Cause I want us to both get a little uncomfortable talking about that. And I think the thing that's concerning to me, Whitney, and, and I say concerning because I don't know what the answer is per se, but we've certainly talked a lot about toxic capitalism in previous episodes here on the podcast. We've talked about a little bit about workers' rights and environmental rights, animal rights. Obviously, these things are something we're very passionate about. You know, if you dig under the hood with people that are accumulating these massive amounts of wealth, you also find that, not in all cases, but many, many cases, there are some pretty alarming, ethically dubious things that they've done and continue to do. You know, As an example, with Amazon, Jeff Bezos resisting giving his workers a $15 minimum wage, right? And when you live in a giant metropolitan area, a la Seattle, Southern California, some of the other metro areas they're in, Living expenses are really high. And as an example, someone whose net worth is 200 billion, who has one of the most valuable corporations on the planet, it's like, g- give your workers $15 an hour. Like, why is this even a question? You know, oh, well, market capitalization and revenues. And it's like, yeah, but people need to live. That's kind of where I draw the line is like, when does the desire for power and scaling and global conquest and net worth outstrip basic ethical considerations of taking care of your employees and the people that are actually helping you as a person and a corporation gain this amount of power and wealth. And the other concerning thing to me too is, again, looking under the hood of of how some of these billionaires run their company is with Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, obviously very different men. They've had different life paths and career paths, but their resistance to allowing their employees to organize labor unions And I'm not saying that labor unions are perfect. I grew up in Detroit, and we certainly had a lot of really fascinating political conversations and stories and moments with the United Auto Workers, right, and the auto workers being in Michigan and having so much power. But I do think that on a basic level, if you have a a corporation that is worth billions or trillions of dollars, and the person at the top is worth tens of billions or hundreds of billions, extending basic rights and the right to organize and the right to live with basic means in a giant expensive metropolitan area, these things don't seem to be like that much of a stretch. And to me, where I get caught up is I see the good things that they have done, but the human rights violations and the resistance to giving people basic rights and, and basic means to sustain themselves, that's really concerning. And the reason it's concerning, with is, is I go to my personal beliefs around money And this whole idea, again, that we grew up with this thing of money's the root of all evil and and money corrupts people. And I don't believe that. But the more that I look at how the mechanisms of our capitalism work on this planet, I'm starting to question whether or not a company and an individual, an entrepreneur or CEO, can get to these levels of success and wealth and power and do it without making some really, I use the word ethically dubious. I don't want to use the word bad. I don't want to use the word evil, but they're up to some shit that like doesn't sit well. Do you know what I mean with where it's like I guess it begs the question, can you get to that level of power and influence and wealth and do it fully ethically or are there points where to a degree you have to stomp on people to get there?
0: Yeah, it is an interesting question and it's so much a matter of perspective and experience and ignorance versus education and there's probably things about Elon Musk that could completely change my mind about him. I'm not saying that like how I feel now is how I'll always feel about him. And yeah, Jeff Bezos, there's something about him that I feel a little skeptical of. But I also wonder, is that because I've heard a lot of other people talk about him skeptically? You know what I mean? Like we're very influenced by the media. We're influenced by our friends and the conversations we have with them. And so it's hard to find the truth about these things even Steve Jobs was somebody that I just really respected and I read his biography and worked for Apple for so long and and had some you know would hear a lot of things about him through the company and yet no matter how much I would learn about him that didn't sit right with me I still overall felt good and that's just I think part of how I operate like in general I'm not much of a cynic I have a lot of hope in humanity and other people and I think that all of us do things that don't sit right with somebody. Like, I recognize that about myself. Like, part of putting information out into the world means that you're exposing yourself to all sorts of people, and there's always going to be someone that doesn't agree with you. I mean, on our podcast, for example, the people that have given us bad ratings or reviews or comments, like, even though you and I are trying to come from the heart and be really authentic, there are people out there that might perceive us as bad or wrong. And we don't have control over that. So to your question about can you do really well financially and stay ethic along the way, I believe so. But it really depends on your definitions of ethics and what your ethics are because they're really not that black and white. And having run a small business, like usually it's just me. Maybe it's me and you working together. Occasionally, I've had I think I've only had one technical employee, you know that like I that paid taxes, you know, like there was mostly I've worked with volunteers and stuff like I don't, haven't had that much experience running a business, but even in those small instances, it's very challenging, and sometimes you have to make a decision that might not fully sit right with you. and you're not always showing up as your best self either. There are times that you say or do things that might have felt right in the moment or maybe didn't feel right in the moment but you did them anyways and i imagine running these huge companies that's happening on a regular basis and pretty much every company i've worked for there have been people that i didn't like that were part of management and there's been a lot of challenges working for businesses no matter how great they are i mean apple is a great example I loved working for Apple for the most part, but it, there were times that were really hard. And I think they're one of the best big businesses out there, all things considered, right? But they still, I'm sure, have done things like there. I remember there was an issue. There are multiple issues over time about their environmental impact, you know. And people would look at that and think that's not ethical if you have an iPhone. And yet again, like when I, I would have to make that decision? Like, am I willing to buy something that doesn't feel perfectly ethical? And frankly, I did. It's also the same with the Tesla, right? Like we've talked about when you buy a car, it's not 100% vegan. There are some cars, I think you've said, Jason, that, I mean, is any car truly 100% vegan? Like there's still some ingredient somewhere, right? That, that is made from animals or there's some process in which animals or creatures are involved of some sort. But we make those decisions to the best of our abilities at the time. And I think the same thing applies with being a business owner. Like They're just trade-offs. That's part of how life goes. It's just on a much bigger level.
1: Yeah, but do you see that there's sort of this ever-increasing income gap between people who are making extraordinary amounts of money, the kind of which that we have never seen in the history of our financial system... And then people that are in the greatest numbers since the Great Depression of 100 years ago, unemployed and living basically in poverty right now. I mean, to me, the thing that I sit with sometimes is, and I'm by no means an economist, a financial expert, go on record and say that neither of us are, but I am very passionate about human rights and I'm very passionate about looking at, I suppose, as a futurist and a humanist, what is sustainable for humanity going forward? And it seems to me that if we keep going down the path that we're going, that there's a propensity, not a guarantee, but a propensity for a massive amount of wealth and power and influence and political pull at the top, where say a middle class is going to be completely eradicated. And there's a whole ton of people that are living basically month to month or in poverty. And, and that to me, I guess, is the thing that I'm most concerned about is through globalization, through the rampant capitalism through the massively unequal distribution of wealth that what's the end game here? And from what the articles I have read is like, look, if we don't make some serious adjustments to the way our world economy works, not just talking about the US, that we essentially will have an obliteration of the middle class. Well, you'll have, like I said, very, very few people, handfuls of people with hundreds of billions of dollars and then literally people starving. And that's my concern about the future of of life on the planet and humanity.
0: I mean, I guess, to be frank, these are not things that I'm very aware of. And so it is an important conversation because one of our big aims with this show is to raise awareness for ourselves and for the listener. And this isn't something that I've been paying close attention to, frankly. And I think this is part of the challenge. It's like, there's so much to pay attention to. There's our daily survival of like, how do we get by? You started this conversation talking about money. like frankly, especially right now, like the day we're recording this, I have so much on my mind that I've barely read any articles. I'm generally somebody that will read the news and read some in-depth articles on by journalists every single day. And I just haven't been able to do that for a week because of all the things that I have going on and the urgency behind each of them and setting those priorities and it is tricky because listening to you it does sound very concerning and it does feel urgent <laughs> but so much in life starts to feel urgent and so it's easy for these things to kind of be undetected and then suddenly we're in a bad place and you know i wonder like is that how this pandemic happened is were we given all these warning signs that nobody was prioritizing and now here we are in this really bad situation as a country scrambling to figure things out. And now it's literally about our survival. And to your point, I don't know, it's really tough. It's a tough thing, Jason. It sounds, I admire that you're concerned and educated on this. I would like to be, but there's so many subject matters I want to be educated on. I want to be educated about sustainability and what's going on with the environment. And that's such a deep rabbit hole that I've been going down for over 10 years. And it's just endless. There's endless information coming out all the time, right? I want to work on personal development and and spirituality and understanding all these different elements of life so that I can support people with their struggles. And that's a huge topic that we cover on the show. And just studying that almost every single day for me is so time-consuming and energy-draining. And it's like, where do you put your attention? Where do you focus? And like, are you just going to read the news and complain about something? Or are you going to educate yourself and then figure out a game plan. And that I'm kind of curious for you Jason, like personally on this subject matter, I just want to know what to do. I just want to know what can be done. I'm not interested in like worrying about it cuz that I have too much to worry about. I think a lot of people do to be frank. And so what have you discovered can be done? You know, like where is our power? What can we do on an individual basis and on a unified level of how do we get people together to make change versus just talking about something and worrying about it.
1: I mean, as pedantic as it sounds, I think that from a personal level, if we can redistribute whatever wealth we have, whether that's a wealth of food, whether that's a wealth of actual capital, whether that's our time, I really think that on a personal level, giving and being extremely generous to those that have less than us that's as old as time. I mean, there's always been people of greater status, whether that was royalty and they were born into it. Right now, the royalty is people who run massive corporations. They're the royalty of the world. And on an individual level, I think one way to combat that is by buying less shit. I think that's number one. I think that we could all stand to probably be a lot less materialistic in this world. We don't need as much stuff. And and hopefully for a lot of people, I mean, I, I've come to realize that Especially over the past six months of quarantine, that, and as a result, like I've been able to actually save some money because I'm not spending as much. It's like, what do I need all this crap for? And so I think being less consumeristic, less materialistic is number one. I think sharing of what we have and sharing resources with each other is number two. And I think depending on which way one's political beliefs lean, you vote and support and donate to the candidates and the causes and the organizations that reflect your beliefs. As an example, One thing that there's been a massive amount of resistance to in this country, not so much in other European countries where they're doing experiments with it, is passing laws for a universal basic income. They call it a UBI. And a universal basic income is something where all of the citizens of a nation get a flat monthly payment every single month that they're alive. It's a universal basic income, which aims to cover food, utilities, maybe some rent. It's not an extraordinary amount. But in some of these countries that are experimenting with it, I'm wondering, what was, I read an article the other day, Universal Basic Income, where was it? I think it was in a a Norwegian country, but they started an experiment or a pilot program. It was Finland that did a basic income, a UBI for two years. We'll link to this article. There's a BBC. (laughs) It's interesting. It says, the trial left people much happier, but jobless. Well, I mean... That's kind of interesting that they're positioning it like jobless is a bad thing. It's a really interesting article that goes into UBI and this experiment in Finland. But I think the point here is that I don't have the answers. Again, I'm not an economist. I'm not a financial expert. But I am a humanist, and I do care about basic human necessities. And I think that I believe that we have a broken system. When you have someone who has hundreds of billions of dollars And here in Los Angeles, especially, Whitney, going out over the past six months to feed the homeless, bring them supplies, body care, food, beverages, I'm actually going to go tomorrow and do another delivery. Like You see people that they are wondering where their next meal and their next shower and how they're going to brush their teeth, how they're going to take care of themselves as a daily concern. And you have someone who has hundreds of billions of dollars, several people. To me, these are markers of a culture and a system that is destined to be destroyed. And at some point, if we don't fix the humanistic aspect of this, I really believe that if we find a way collectively to honor the environment, to honor animals, to honor people's individual rights to shelter and food and water and basic necessities, I think that humanity can continue in a much more sustainable and humanistic way. But I'm not like a doomsdayer, but I have to feel that if we keep going down the track we're going, that this is horrifically unsustainable for human life.
0: Yeah, and I can understand the concern. I guess I don't know what else to say about it, to be honest, because when I hear things like this, all I want to know is what can be done. And so beyond what you've discovered thus far, like I feel like I'm at a standstill and and maybe other people can relate to that. So what do you think, Jason, is the best way to... Learn more and and figure out how to proceed and contribute to this. I mean, beyond things like voting, like obviously, your vote can play a big role in shifting the way things are run in this country. even when we, when we feel powerless, we're not. It's so important to vote. And I think we need to do more work to encourage others to vote and just make sure that you're letting your voice be heard. You can call representatives on issues you're concerned about. You can get involved in. All sorts of organizations. You can volunteer in many ways. Like there are those things, but I think not everybody takes the initiative to go do them. And that's really like the next thing to ask yourself is what are you passionate about and why? And then what else is happening in the world that maybe you should be more educated and passionate about and how can you get involved with it? But I think it is. There's going to be a lot of people that can relate to my experience, Jason, because there's just so much going on for us. Like it's hard. Maybe this is like where my cynicism is, if there's any within me, is that I see so many people having excuses for really basic things in life and feeling so overwhelmed that adding this to the list is probably so far from their minds. And this is exactly why these things persist, is because the average person is just trying to get by each day. Whether they have children that they're trying to take care of, like that alone, the amount of women that I have seen in my personal life, like friends of mine that have kids, like they can barely just do anything beyond caring for their kids. And so, how could they possibly get involved with something like this? Especially now, I'm not saying it's not possible, (laughs) it's an exaggeration. Of course, it's anything's possible if you really care enough, but I'm just saying, like, There are people that are working hours and hours every single day just to pay their rent and they're exhausted at the end of the day. So that to me is like where the big challenge becomes because the people that will be affected by this are also the people that don't feel like they have the energy to put towards making a change. And I think that's why we end up in these situations because in a way that makes them feel powerless. And so you have to be somebody with an amazing amount of determination in order to start making these types of changes. And I don't know how many of those people there are. I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm not saying that change can't happen. But if you're getting fired up listening to this, then maybe you are one of those people. And maybe you need to go do something about this and spread the word. But do it in a way that's not based in complaining. Like I don't want to hear people just talking about these things. I want them to be taking action and encouraging me and telling me how I can take action and encouraging other people like myself who haven't sat down and spent the time on this because we have so much going on in our lives that that's why we're not taking the initiative. I think that's another element of this is how do you help people that feel overwhelmed already? Like the moms and the entrepreneurs, the small business owners, the single parents, the college students, like all these people who are so overwhelmed with the basic day-to-day stuff, those people need help. They need encouragement and they need education and they need accountability partners in order to get going. Another example, too, is why is it so challenging for people to go vote? What I'm saying here, people are so overwhelmed, they don't even know who to vote for because they haven't spent the time to research it beyond maybe trying to decide who to vote for president, which could also feel incredibly overwhelming and confusing. And so if you can't even just go vote, like how do you expect people to go and take all these big actions to make change? You know what I'm saying? Like this takes a whole movement in order to get people to shift what they're paying attention to and how they're going to make an impact on it.
1: I mean, I think one way that we can all vote every single day is with our dollars. We've talked about this, with in terms of the industries or the, the corporations or the movements we support. And to your point, one of the advantages that a corporation like Amazon has is convenience, and people are willing to pay for convenience, even if it comes at the risk of damaging the environment or supporting a company that doesn't necessarily support human rights or the workers' rights that it has, right? But it'll get there in eight hours. We've all collectively become slaves to convenience to one degree or another. And it goes back to a book we've oft referenced here with, which is The Pleasure Trap by Dr. Doug Lyle and Alan Goldhammer, which is we're kind of biologically wired to have the highest amount of reward for the least amount of effort, whether that's a caloric yield or a yield of power, or I want my favorite candy bars and I want them in four hours at my doorstep. Like We are wired to want that. We want what we want and the least amount of effort to get it. But the mentality that we need to take i think all of us myself included is to be even more mindful of how our everyday purchasing decisions how those count as a vote as an example over this quarantine period dean foods who was the largest dairy manufacturer in the us filed for bankruptcy that was unthinkable years ago unthinkable that dean foods would file for bankruptcy and i saw this because good karma flax milk sold a huge share to Dean, and once Dean filed for bankruptcy, they bought their share back for their flax milk company. But why would a corporation as massive and humongous as the U.S.'s biggest dairy producer, how the hell could they go bankrupt, right? Like, how is that possible? Well, consumer preference. People started buying hemp milk, oat milk, almond milk, soy milk, hazelnut milk, flax milk, and correspondingly, dairy sales started to plummet. They still are plummeting, And so what we realize is that whether it's Amazon or Dean Foods or Apple or Tesla or Microsoft or Chase or name any giant multinational corporation that has its tentacles throughout the planet, they exist, first of all, because either there was a rich founder who injected them with capital and or they had VC funding, but ultimately they exist to sell a product or a service or a suite of products and services. If we as consumers don't want to support them, we don't have to support them. They only exist because we allow them to exist. And I'm saying this because sometimes we forget the power that we have. And yeah, it's hard when you are scraping to get by each month. And I realize that some of our listeners too may be scraping to the get by. They don't know how they're going to pay their rent or pay for childcare or find food. I, I know for sure there are, are listeners. One of our listeners is is homeless. I know for certain because they've sent me messages and. I'm not trying to say that there is a one size fits all solution, but where we put not only our political vote, but how we vote with our dollar every single time we make a purchase that is allowing that company or that individual or that entrepreneur or that VC fund, that entity to continue doing what they do. And if we don't want them to continue doing what they are doing, don't give them money. Like that's ground zero to me. Now, it also begs the question too, Whitney, you know, like this relationship around money, because I don't believe that money is bad, I don't believe wealth is bad, and I don't believe these individuals are bad. My separation is I think that there was an amazing documentary that came out in 2003 or four called The Corporation, and it talked about how we got here, like how toxic capitalism got to the point it, it has and why there are legal structures and protections that regard corporate entities as individuals, as beings, right? And there's a lot of nuances to this conversation and how we got to this point, but it it is interesting to look at the belief systems underneath money. You know, you talk about struggle. I think one of the big things that I have struggled with over the course of my life, to get personal right now, is growing up with my mom and dad, and even though my dad wasn't around that long, my dad's approach to making money was hustling and in some cases my father would set up business deals with people and then he would take their money and not provide what he had promised them right he did this on more than one occasion so as i learned more about my dad and his business dealings it was like okay my dad made money through some unethical practices of taking people's money and not providing them what he promised them right that to me is very unethical so on the one side it was this money message growing up of if you want to make money and do well you need to hustle and con people and screw them over to make money. On the other side, because my dad wasn't around and my mom and dad separated very young, being raised by a single mom, my mom was working sometimes three and four jobs at a time to make ends meet. And I didn't get to see my mom that much. So on that side, it was like, oh, money's really hard to make and it's hard to stay afloat and you've got to work your ass off that my mom did just to make ends meet and put food on the table and have the mortgage paid, right? So I personally have had to look at these deep-seated beliefs around how to earn money, which on one side subconsciously was you have to screw people over and fuck them just get yours from my dad, and then you need to work yourself to the bone and grind yourself into the ground just to make ends meet and there's scarcity and you he or she who works the hardest wins, right? And as you know, you've seen over the last 9 years knowing each other how challenging my money relationship has been, and I'm still working through self-worth Work ethic, trying to be as ethical as possible and do what I say I'm going to do, like it still is a big challenge for me, you know. And I'm curious just to flip it back on you, how maybe your upbringing and how you saw the relationship of money in your family, how that's kind of colored how you've been as an entrepreneur and as an adult dealing with your own money. Wit
0: for sake of time, it's like this episode's really interesting, Jason, because I see how passionate you are about this, and it it's almost like I feel unprepared to talk about it because. I haven't given as much thought to it as you have to be honest. At least in the sense that you're digging into. I don't even know where to begin to be honest. It's really tough for me. These type of things take me some time to process and reflect on and I don't want to give like a superficial quick answer, you know what I mean? Like I want to really get into it on a deeper level, so maybe this makes more sense to do in a part two for this. you know I'd be happy to to share a little bit if you have some specific questions that you're interested in, and then maybe you have some things that can be food for thought for my uh road trip and since I'll be spending so much time with my family, like a lot of the things that I try to uncover come up when I'm spending time with my family, and I get to tune back into my life before I was on my own, you know, and how my parents influenced me and things I noticed about them that just hit me differently now as an adult.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of interesting just to take notice of what was Ram Das's quote that he said years ago. He said, Oh yeah, if you think you're enlightened, go spend a week with your family. You're gonna be spending a lot, <laughs> a lot more than a week, aren't you? Aren't you planning on like it's gonna be at least a month back home?
0: I don't know. It's to be determined. So we'll see. I it, it could be um anywhere from two to four weeks, I think right now is what I'm I'm thinking of doing.
1: Okay, well then I guess we'll loop back around. If you don't feel inspired to talk about it, I'm not going to force you.
0: It's not that I am not inspired to talk about it. It's just a really heavy, deep subject matter that I want to reflect more on. So that I, I don't want to give a, a like a quick off the cuff response to this, you know. And this being on the shorter end of of some episodes due to our recording constraints today, I just don't feel like I can like summarize all of this in five minutes, you know
1: yeah well, then we'll do a part B then, so then let's get to our brand shout outs and if you have an f a q or two then Whitney so brand shout outs briefly mentioned this in a couple of episodes prior to this that I had been dealing with a gout flare up, so I've been going to physical therapy for about a week and a half now after I had some foot problems and a foot injury after the gout and One thing that my doctor recommended to me was actually taking enzymes, specifically proteolytic enzymes. And if you've been with us, dear listener, for the past few episodes, you have heard us mention BioOptimizers. I have been taking a product of theirs for a few weeks now called Masszymes, which are advanced enzymes, which basically have key amino acids that help boost your absorption of certain vitamins and minerals. They help with your digestion, mental clarity and focus. And they also help to repair damaged intestinal walls. Now, here's the interesting thing. As Whitney and I love to go down the research rabbit hole, if you've been with us here on the podcast, you know that we both like to go and do our own research and, and go deep down there. Well, there's an interesting article we'll link to in the show notes at our website, wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And there's a published article talking about our enzyme defects, in gout that are associated with the overproduction of uric acid, which was super interesting, right? That, wow, if there's enzyme deficiencies, it can cause more uric acid to build up, and that leads to these dagger-shaped crystals that lead to gout. So I've been taking these proteolytic enzymes from biooptimizers, and it's been part of my gout recovery. So if you, dear listener, might struggle with uric acid or arthritis or gout or anything like that or any kind of inflammatory issues, these mastzymes are phenomenal. I actually take three in the morning, three at night, and they've been a foundational element of my recovery in physical therapy and recovering from this gout flare-up that I had. So for you, if you want to check out their website, we actually have a special website set up for you. I'll spell it for you. It's dot com forward slash elevator. And when you go there, if you want to take 10% off your order, you just enter the code Wellevator10. Again, it's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R V A T R one zero. You can save 10% on the mass zymes. And if you've listened to our previous episodes, we've mentioned our love for the Consti Cleanse, the hydrochloric acid, and their amazing magnesium products as well. So go ahead and check out BioOptimizers. We love them as a sponsor. Whitney and I have both been taking their products. And again, for sleep, for digestion, And in my particular and very specific case, recovering from gout, we have just absolutely been in love with this brand. So on that, Whitney, do we have any annals of FAQs we can pull from today? Do you have any in the back pocket?
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Okay, what do you got?
0: One that's fairly recent. I'm curious, what do you think this person meant when they Googled this? The phrase is, let it grow, but it's awkward.
1: I mean, I think about sexual things, but that's just probably a peek into my dirty mind. (laughs) maybe it's because I mentioned an an erection in a previous episode. Is that why when we were talking about the magnesium episode and the side benefit of having stronger morning wood, maybe I don't know. That's where my mind goes.
0: Well, I just looked it up and apparently it's like a reference to a song from the Lorax movie, the cartoon version called let it grow. And there's like this whole trend of people, making awkward versions of it, I guess.
1: (laughs) I've never seen this movie, by the way. Have you?
0: I haven't. And it actually looks really good. I'm just opened up a click. And it's like, yeah, I have no context for it. But it makes me really curious because the Lorax actually is a great environmental story. And I didn't feel that drawn to it. But just by seeing this, I'm thinking, hmm maybe I should watch this movie. But like, I guess people are editing together. Like this one video on YouTube has 10 million views. And I guess like this person edits together awkward versions of things like that. I don't know. I've never seen this. I feel out of the loop. (laughs) You know, and like you see stuff on the internet that's so popular and you've never heard of it. It just goes to show how many people are doing things that we're not even aware of.
1: Yeah. And truth be told, like I feel like you're more on the cusp of like what's trending on social media by virtue of the amount of TikTok videos and links that you send me. I feel like you and our friendship, you send me a hell of a lot more videos and memes and TikToks than I send you. So it's actually interesting that you didn't know about this going on. I'm actually... Sh- I'm shocked, Whitney. I'm shocked.
0: I'm a little bit shocked as well, I have to say. Let's see how old this is. It's, it is from 2016. So... At least it's not super current because if it probably was a meme from the past year, I would know about it because since I got on TikTok, I do feel very with it and hip <laughs> in that sense but because I I feel like TikTok is such a hub for seeing what's going on around the world. And that's actually where I learned about COVID for the first time. And that's where I saw video of the Black Lives Matter protests. Happening for the first time. I mean, there was so much that I all see. Actually, you know what else? The big explosion in Beirut I found out about through TikTok before it really hit the mainstream news. So it's fascinating how information spreads, whether it's the news or some silly meme and trend out there. So I do I find TikTok to be a very educational experience for me. All right. Well, now that we've learned a little bit ourselves, let me see what else we have in terms of interesting things people type on the internet. This one's actually kind of fascinating to me. The query was dating a girl with anxiety.
1: Hmm. I feel like maybe you should take this one because we've talked at least this past week a lot about you've been very forthright, Whitney, and open about the anxiety you've been feeling. So maybe we can kind of examine that or in a separate episode, whatever. I know we're getting toward the end, but dating a girl with anxiety, I'm not the best person to answer that because I have mental health issues and I have a clinical depression. I've got my own shit to deal with. So it's tough, I would imagine, if you are in a relationship where you have two people with mental health issues.
0: Have you ever dated a girl that had a lot of anxiety?
1: I mean, who the fuck doesn't have anxiety? (laughs) I don't know anybody on this planet right now who doesn't have anxiety. Like, this is not to diminish it, but it's like, yes, I've dated people with anxiety. But it's like, I think the best thing to do is like, have compassion and understanding and extremely clear communication for what someone is going through. Like, as an example with Laura, who I'm dating now, if either one of us are having sadness, depression, anxiety, whatever it is, we're just really, really clear about communicating with that with each other. You know, there are times where it's like, hey, maybe it would be best that I stay home today and just kind of like be by myself and like deal with this as opposed to other times, maybe it's better if we get together. I actually feel like this is another episode, Whitney, of how to date and love and hold space for someone who has depression, anxiety, panic attacks, things like that. I I really think that this is a separate episode because I would love to share my perspective on having clinical depression and suicidal ideation and things I struggle with and then also bringing in some of these other things that we said, because we can't really wrap this up in a few minutes. I I do think, dear listener, we will have this and peg this as a very near future episode, for sure.
0: I like that idea. I think that's great. And I also like the idea of doing a part two to this and diving deeper into the money side of things, especially after or during spending time with my parents. (laughs) I'll be reflecting on this for sure. And even on my road trip, One of the reasons that I love traveling is it often becomes a meditation and just noticing the things that come up for me and a subject matter like this, I tend to just continue to reflect on well beyond the initial conversation. So I think I'm going to feel very inspired. As for our last query today, I like to feature some that made me laugh and... um, (laughs) I don't know why this led somebody to our website, but somebody searched for Ninja Turtle bathroom set and our website came up as a recommended result.
1: No idea. Oh, you know what it was? It was because with our recent episode, recent-ish, How to Get Your Geek On with Chris DT Gordon, we talked about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because he's a huge comic book fan. That's probably why we talked at length about TMNT and, in fact, even sung the ninja, ninja rap, the classic from Vanilla Ice. So that's probably where we got that query from. Shout out to Chris DT Gordon that episode, which, again, we will link to in the show notes for this episode if you want to reference that, dear listener.
0: It's kind of interesting when you look up what a Ninja Turtle bathroom set is. I mean, first of all, it's mainly about the shower curtain, and there are a lot of Ninja Turtle shower curtains, some much better than others. Some of them might be old photos. (laughs) There's even... (laughs) I'm going to try to link to this image in the show notes (laughs) because... There is there's a website called letgo.com where you can sell used things. And this person is selling a teenage mutant ninja turtle bathroom set for $20 or maybe it's part of offer up, okay? So this is like an old listing and I can't even like fully click on it because it's redirecting, but I'm going to try to link to the photo because I don't know, it just made me laugh because they like wrote in marker on top of the photo The price of $20. And that coupled with like this crazy Ninja Turtle bath mat that's just like one of the turtles' faces, ginormous on your floor, and then like a trash bin, and then like um, (laughs) a soap dispenser in the shape of one of their heads. It's really interesting what type of merchandise gets created. And this to me is a little creepy, but if you were really into the Ninja Turtles, which I I did actually appreciate them when I was growing up. But if you were a huge fan, or maybe as a kid, this would be really cool. But it also can easily be perceived as like creepy and like why would you want to decorate your bathroom that way? But I hope whoever searched for that found what they were looking for and enjoyed it if they purchased it. And hopefully they didn't buy it from China through Amazon but let's be honest they probably did because that's the first hit that you get when you search for this is Amazon and also to be honest the set that they're selling does look kind of cool so this is the, to bring it full circle Jason this is <laughs> this is what happens like i think with Amazon it's just easy It's less expensive and there's so much variety. Like, I can see why people just get caught in that loop of supporting a a business like that. But I will say that buying used is usually cheaper. It's definitely better for the environment. And it's a way to support somebody who needs to make some extra cash on the side. So if you can, find it on OfferUp, LetGo, Craigslist, any of those type of sites. That might be a good place to start. Even Facebook Marketplace even though it's can be frustrating as hell as a seller on there. <laughs> the crazy ex- stories that each of us could share about Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, and Let Go could be a whole nother episode. And maybe one day we'll talk about that.
1: Maybe we will. But there's really nothing like uh, picking up a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles bathroom set that's really down on that depreciation curve. Getting it secondhand is the way to go. Dear listener, we are at the end of this episode. We... Always thank you for getting uncomfortable with us here and stay tuned for part deux about our perspectives on finances and money and wealth and abundance because it certainly cannot be covered by one episode. So stay tuned for that for a future episode along with a discussion on how to love and care for a significant other who has mental health issues in their lives. I think that is gonna be a really wonderful and empowering and enlightening episode, Whitney. I'm really looking forward to both of those. In the meantime, go to our website, which is Wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com, and you can find all of the links to the articles, the products we mentioned in this episode, along with the UBI article about Finland, the enzyme information about gout, and of course the link to our sponsor, BioOptimizers. Again, you can use the code Wellevator10, 10 when you go to our special custom website and you will save 10% on your entire order. Until next time, thank you for being with us. If you would be so kind as to rate us on Apple Podcasts, we have a litany, a deluge of wonderful ratings there. And if you want to add to that positivity, we would be most grateful. So with that, dear listener, we bid you adieu, good day, and Godspeed.